this time on Gamers Week Podcast. Yes, I would have liked to have played it on the PC. That's where my throne is at, really. I have to go down and, and mingle with the peasants. <laughs> you have a throne? That's awesome. I have a th- yeah, I do have a throw. <laughs> Go down and mingle with the peasants. Who let you in here? But dad, we live here. <laughs> right. I was telling Ryan, I'm so glad you guys made it to TikTok because uh, I've been telling Ryan to <laughs> join TikTok for a while. TikTok is the devil. <laughs> there, what's really interesting is when I started doing TikTok, I started doing it like really like early, like late 2019, early 2020. And there were literally like five retro accounts. Now it's grown a lot. There's a lot of collectors now on there. Good. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Like back when everyone was dancing all the time, I was posting like (laughs) retro videos and there were like five or six of us. And now it's become a huge kind of community now. Ryan can tell you because I think he's the one kind of running over there, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, it's all him. I think he's getting a, he likes it. At least he seems like he's getting a kick out of it. So that's cool. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gamers Week podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is Lucky Number Episode 13. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. My name is Blue Williams, and I'll be your host for this evening, but I have with me two wonderful co-hosts. The first one is a man who runs outside every time it stops raining, so he can try to find the golden fanny pack at the end of the rainbow. I have with me the one and only Donnie G. Is there a fanny pack? This is the first time I'm hearing of this, so do you know something that I don't? I can't believe you've never heard of the golden fanny pack at the end of the rainbow. I must find... Does it have a copy of Stadium Events in it? Um, Nobody's ever found it. Damn it. All right, and then we also have, filling in for Professor Rybread today, who is not feeling well, we have Andy, a.k.a. Love Retro BTW. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am, like, super excited to be filling in for Ryan and part of this. Uh, and just so people know, I am Love Retro BTW on Twitter, but I was formerly Producer BTW, if you remember that. That's a whole nother story. But I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited uh, to be on the show. Glad to have you. We really appreciate you filling in last minute. We know this was very last minute. So for our listeners who may not know you, uh, who are you? What do you do? Oh, yeah. Well, good question. Um, Some might know that I am the gaming community director for Stamp to Cancer. So I do a lot of our programs with streamers and content creators. And Blue, I think you even did our Mario Kart event that Ryan and I put on last August, Mm -hmm. which we're bringing back, by the way. I do that and we support cancer research. And as a content creator, I am a podcaster as well. I do the Cafe BTW morning podcast every Saturday on Twitch. And then uh, we have uh, the VODs on YouTube. And then, of course, across all stuff like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, it's all retro all the time. So just a love for collecting. And I'm a collector myself. And I'm sure there's a link tree uh, link available and you can check out my stuff there. 
Ryan and I have participated in Stand Up to Cancer previously, and I know that uh, I'm sure Donnie has also, but can you tell people a little bit more about how gamers can help? Yeah, so it's really incredible. Um, And this is kind of like something that started a few years ago where charity streaming was becoming a real thing in in the Twitch world, uh, the YouTube world when live streaming started. And um, basically there's platforms that allow streamers, um, shout out to Tiltify and Streamlabs that allow streamers to connect donation links that send directly to your charity of choosing. It doesn't mean it has to be a cancer research charity, it could be a mental health charity, inclusion charity, all types of charities. Even right now there's charities uh, and streamers supporting uh, what's happening in Ukraine. And it's just the power of live streaming allows any person to do a charity stream themselves. You know, back in the day, you would have to put these like, we're going to do a 4K race for for cancer research. We're going to do a golf event. But in this case, it's literally turning your stream on and being able to have your viewers support whatever nonprofit or cause at the time means a lot to you. So yeah, it's just uh, really fun. And there's there's retro streamers. There's people that play Call of Duty and fundraise. It's It goes across any games. And it's also like, you know, there's, there's food people on, on Twitch now and YouTube, there's live drummers and bands and they're raising money as well. So it's kind of grown in from the gaming arena to kind of like streaming platforms becoming a philanthropic space, you know, and, and it's really cool. So that's pretty much in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, if you have the ability to stream and not just play video games, then this gives you the opportunity to partake and not just go out and 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 start have a function at a golf course or a big event that you have to put a whole bunch of money up for it. You can just turn on your computer, go live and say, hey, I'm going to play this video game. I'm going to support this charity. And there you go. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And I know, Blue, you've done a couple of times even. I think you even joined in my 2019 where we launched our first SU2C stream team event. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you were a part of that. So appreciate like all the support as well. It's just the power of community and like there's fun things like people eat like the bamboozled jelly beans for a donation, like (laughs) pies in their face or, you know, recently just to let you know, a good example is this really cool streamer called Nico Pokey Bros. There's a Pokemon streamer. He shaved his head because uh, his community uh, donated $5,000 over the course of a couple of hours and that was his goal. So they hit the goal in like an hour and a half and he had to shave his head on stream. (laughs) So I would totally do that. Right. But you see how much fun it becomes? Like it really right. b- brings an engaging way of supporting charities, playing video games and, it th- you know, whatever that might be. So, yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah. Hopefully you guys will. And Johnny, I would love for you to join. We're bringing back the August Mario Kart event. I guess I'm saying <laughs> it here. We're coming back in August. So it's going to be exciting. Which 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 Mario Kart are we talking? Uh, we did. We did the new one. We did. We did. Uh, okay. <laughs> Because it's just easier to have people have switches and join. Um, but I would love to figure out how we could do some more retro stuff, which you probably could on the Switch. Is Mario Kart N64? Yes. yes. So we could no. do that. No. Super no. Super Nintendo Mario well, Kart. Well, hey, hey, whatever. It's a Mario Kart and, and I'll take it. Right. But yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a good question, Donnie. We'll have to talk about that a little more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember. I, I don't think I've done a stand up to cancer event. Um, I thought I did an extra life um, event at one point. You probably did because they're wonderful charity been around. They're OGs in the charity streaming space, by the way. OGs. Right. Yeah. Blue, do you remember what you played for your stand up to cancer? Let's see. Um, I believe it was Aladdin. 
on the Super Nintendo. It might have. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, That's cool. I did Aladdin and then I did the uh, the Mario Kart tournament. Okay. Yeah, which was, we got, we were on front page, by the way, which was really cool. I got us on front page. Nice. And we were there for like two hours. I don't know. It was fun. We raised over $1,500 that night and it was really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That was a super fun night. All right. Well, thanks again, Andy, for joining us. And we will have all kinds of links for Andy in the show notes. You can go and you can check out his podcast. And then also we'll have links for if you would like to get involved with Stand Up to Cancer yourself. Awesome. But let's go ahead and get this show started. First off, as always, we've got our reviews, reactions, and requests. Of course, all of these are because we had the legendary Howard Scott Warshaw on the show last week, and it was an awesome interview. It was a wonderful interview. The fact that I knew a lot about him already, and it was great hearing your take on and the questions you asked him. So thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah. So Simon Ashtier says, so cool that you guys got to score an interview with such a high profile and ornery dude. Next, can you interview the guy who decided Mario Lost Levels was too difficult for the U.S. audience? I want to personally thank him. <laughs> I think that was Howard Phillips. Was it Howard Phillips? It was Howard Phillips. The same Howard Phillips that uh, that derailed the the Senate hearing back in uh, the the 90s and caused the ESRB. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Which I know a lot about as well. <laughs> that whole that whole thing was interesting. Maybe we can get Howard Phillips on the show and. Uh, Donnie, you can ask him a few things. Yes, yeah. let's tear him a new butthole. <laughs> well, now he's not going to come on the show. <laughs> All right, Mr. Knight Rider says, absolutely brilliant. Listened slash watched many interviews with this legend in gaming over the years. Love hearing him tell the stories. Book is ordered. I only wish he could read it to me with that enthusiasm. Can't wait for part two. I'm still not dead yet. And T-Dog6685 says, big congrats on your best episode yet. Have y'all considered you might be setting the bar too high 12 episodes in? Um, I'm not going to lie to you, T-Dog. Yes, I thought about that. Yes, it's all downhill from there. (laughs) Probably. Like, how are we ever going to follow that up? Probably we never are. Now, does Howard Scott Warshaw have an option where he can actually, you can can rent him to, to come and actually read the book to you for a certain amount of time? You know, he should do an audiobook. That seems like a no-brainer. I think he should. Yeah. He's got a cool voice, by the way. He's got a very he distinct does. voice. And I've watched a lot of like documentaries about him. He's really good at he's a well spoken, like distinct personality, you know? So Yes. Definitely. And uh, you know, we have an in with him now, so we'll just suggest it. We can just slide into his DMs. Yeah, slide into his DMs and suggest an audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> That's a smart move. And now it's time for the very important poll. <laughs> I thought I would do it differently this week as opposed to last week. Whenever I was just like, "Huh, very important poll." I admit that I one hundred percent did not know what to expect this time. You had me on the edge of my seat, and that's my goal every single time. Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP. Very important poll. If you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. Now, this week's question was, what is your favorite arcade shmup? And if you don't know what a shmup is, it's a shoot-em-up. You pilot a ship, you shoot things, you get distracted, and you die a lot of times. Coming in with Radiant Silvergun at 8.8%, Ikaruga 
at 28.6%, Raiden or Raiden at 30.8%, and it looks like the other category took the notch this week with 31.9%. And now I do apologize if I mispronounced any of the games in our list. I know that certain people have things with the, with pronunciation and everything. So Please send your complaints to @donnygredneck. <laughs> yeah, funny. bring bring them all into that particular Twitter handle. So let's look at some of the answers from the other category. At Pixelotic says, just in terms of pure time played, it would be Mushi Hama Sama or Crimson Clover. I definitely butchered that one. That's a hell of a name, too. Right? Mushi Hime Sama. There Mushi Hime Sama. That See, that's right. a lot easier. Yep. At RGC Podcast says, right into actually. The plasma toothpaste laser was completely unprecedented at the time. I'm sure someone will prove me wrong on this. Probably my favorite weapon upgrade in any shmup. And at Tilly Flip says scramble. Yes, I'm that old. Also, we have Death to Logic coming in with I have a severe soft spot for Strike Gunner on the SNES. And Clayman71 says not sure. Never had enough quarters to make it long enough to just him. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the best response right there. Yeah. So I... My answer would be Gradius, and it could be Gra- Gradius, by the way. I always say it right. Right, right. Um, that was like the shoot 'em up on the NES that was also like went on to be like an amazing series, and the music's really good, but it's super hard, and I never was good at shoot 'em ups ever. But I'm replaying that one, so I would vote for that one. Okay. Blue, what about you? So I am uh, with Clayman. I don't really like shoot 'em ups. <laughs> the only shoot 'em up that I. They are. They suck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry for everybody who loves them, but I just, yeah, man. They they're suck. beautiful games, though. I will say that, but right. they're, they're really hard. <laughs> yeah. So the only shoot 'em up I've spent any amount of time with is uh, Super R-Type because Ryan did it for an RGB high score. Right. I remember that. Right. So if I had to pick an arcade one, I guess I would go with R-Type is like the closest, but... Uh, I haven't really played a lot of shoot 'em ups. <laughs> I haven't played a lot of the arcade shoot 'em ups because, like Clayman seventy one said, you put in a quarter and you basically you get owned pretty quickly in a shoot 'em up, and it's designed to actually take your money really quick. Um, it, but if we're talking strictly arcade, for me, it's Galaga. Ooh, great game. Great game. Or. 1942 slash 1943. Those were great ports for the uh, NES, but the arcade versions are really stellar. But if we're going to talk about system ports, then I'm definitely going with Lightning Force 4 Hmm. or Super R-Type. Lightning Force has one of the best, hands down, soundtracks for any game out there. Great music in Shooter. I mean, it's, it's so true. Have either of you touched those games? 1943 definitely played the crap out of as a kid. I don't think I was very good at it, but I played it a lot. <laughs> I was definitely not good at it either. And I really hadn't touched any shmup up until a couple of years ago when Ryan started doing the RGB high score. Um, and he did Thunder Force 3, uh, which I, I started playing it. It was really tough because what those games like to do is distract you. With like the the different uh, the the color palettes and everything that make it look like oh this this explosion is part of the ship no it's not and you just died mm. so I would I would I'm constantly getting distracted but 
Thunder Force 3 was a game I actually played through on stream. And I was like, oh, okay, it's, this is going to be tough. And then I beat it. I'm like, that wait, that was it? And then I moved on to <laughs> Lightning Force. And Lightning Force did a complete 180. And that game is super tough. And after practicing on that one, I was able to do a one credit clear. I mean, I actually had some deaths, but uh, you, you were allotted so many different lives within that game. But I was able to make it through in one fell swoop. And I just I love that music. Hands down. It's one of my favorite shmups. Such a burden to be so good at games like Donnie. Right. Is. Right. Wow. It's a mystery. All right. Let's move on to our patron shout outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Great Sayaman81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, Producer BTW, Steven Sand, Terry Kinnear, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games With Coffee, Davey PGH, The Red Ox PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Random Retro Dude, Michael Lundin, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Mega Retro Man, Emo-esque, Ryber's number one fan, Fruitcake's number one stan, The Wizard of Zardoz, and Clayman71. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, let's move on to our headlines. Our headline segment is probably sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Right now, they want to know which version of Street Fighter 2 is your favorite and why. Email your answers to email at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. From Engadget, Elden Ring has sold over 12 million copies in 18 days. Ooh, doggy. Whoa, whoa, Is that whoa. good? I think so. <laughs> I think it's darn good. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. Right. <laughs> That's a simple flex. Bandai Namco expected From Software's Elden Ring to sell 4 million copies in five weeks. However, Elden Ring eclipsed the company's expectations. It sold 12 million units worldwide, 1 million of which were sold in Japan alone within 18 days of its release. The companies have announced the game's blockbuster sales numbers in a press release and also mentioned the possibility of expanding the IP beyond the realm of games. Based on how well it's doing, it seems apt to compare Elden Ring to Pokemon Legends Arceus, which sold 6.5 million copies in seven days. And that's a game from a franchise that already has a massive following. With those sales numbers, Elden Ring smashed a bunch of other records associated with Souls-type games. From Software's previous release, Sekiro, sold 2 million copies in 10 days. And it took four years for Dark Souls 3, the best-selling game in the series, to reach 10 million units sold worldwide. Wow. From Software developed Elden Ring with help from a Song of Ice and Fire creator George R.R. Martin, who wrote the overarching mythos for the game that features Lovecraftian creatures and dragons. So you had time to write that, but you could not finish the, the, <laughs> the last book in the series? Are you kidding me? Honestly, I think HBO ruined it for him. I think it's not that he doesn't want to finish them. It's that he's like, oh, HBO like already like told the story. And I, I don't know. That's how I, I mean, feel. They, they told the story that he 
told them to tell, I think. Yeah. I think he's moving on. And obviously it's nice to see him doing something else and it's apparently doing well, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it looks like it. So the question I got to ask though with this is Elden Ring is a very specific genre of game. This article compares Elden Ring to Pokemon, which has a wide appeal. Anybody pretty much of any age can go play Pokemon and have a good time. I would not say that's the case with with (laughs) FromSoft games like Elden Ring. (laughs) So the fact that it has sold 12 million copies in 18 days, that's nuts. And I got to wonder, is it because A... FromSoft games are becoming more mainstream where more people know how to play them, more people are enjoying them, so it can command those kind of sales numbers. Or is it because B, it was so hyped up because of the involvement of George R.R. Martin that 10 million of those 12 million people bought Elden Ring having no idea what they were getting into and now they're pissed off about it. That's a good point. Um, mm. This is actually the first time I'm hearing that George R.R. R. Martin was involved with this project. Seriously? So, yeah. So I was going to agree with Donnie and say that I think less people know. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think um, what's really cool about From Software, that's their name, right? From Software, yeah. um, that they've created a niche of a game that I, when I started playing Dark Souls and stuff, I was like, wow, this is like about dying. And their games are about dying and doing things over and over <laughs> until you accomplish it. It is the the true testament of the style of game they've created. And I think what's happening is the niche is becoming popular, just like Battle Royale was popular. A mainstream group of people actually like these Souls games now. And that's pretty interesting. And now um, they've been really successful. I find it to be a really interesting comparison, I guess, because uh, we had... Metroid Dread, not that long ago. Yeah. And that set off the big controversy about games that don't have easy modes. <laughs> then you see Elden Ring, which in my opinion is 100 times harder than Metroid Dread. No easy mode, of course. Definitely. Not even any, hardly any in-game tutorials. I mean, they just drop you in the middle of this open world and say, good luck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, a little, it's a little strange to me to see that this game can be so successful, but then... Other games are being punished, so to speak, for being too difficult. It's just a weird dynamic that we have going right now. Maybe this is going to set the precedent to where we're no longer going to hold your hands if you want to play video games. We're dropping you into the so-called proverbial and it's sink (laughs) or swim. So there you go. I don't know. I don't know. I think people are giving Elden Ring a pass that they're not giving other games. Like uh, Sifu, we've talked about on the show before. Right. Sifu got pressured to include an easy mode. Interesting. After release, they added it after release. So, I don't know. We know huh. that Blue has played Elden Ring. Andy, have you played it yet? Um, I am strictly avoiding it until the holiday season when it's going to be half <laughs> off. I'm calling it now. Between the months of September and December, it will be half off. I, I hopefully... <laughs> You are probably not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I picked it up uh, on launch because Walmart had it for $49.99. Oh, not bad. Yeah. As opposed to every place else having it for $59.99. And I'm like, you know what? I might not play it right away, but I'm getting it for $10 less than what everybody else would get it. So might as well. That's awesome. Even though you regret it because you got it on the wrong platform. 
I don't necessarily regret it. I'm going to have to go downstairs and pop it into the PS4. Yes, I would have liked to have played it on the PC. That's where my throne is at, really. I have to go down and, and mingle with the peasants. <laughs> you have a throne? That's awesome. I have a th- yeah, I do have a throne. <laughs> go down and mingle with the peasants. Who let you in here? But dad, we live here. <laughs> right. That's funny. Uh, from Thrillist, a Super Nintendo World theme park is coming to the U.S. next year, is the article. And uh, Super Nintendo World is coming to the U.S. Universal has not unveiled the specific opening date, but it is confirmed that it will let visitors slide down a big green pipe into Mario's realm at some point next year. Super Nintendo World will be introduced at an expanded area in the park, and it will include rides and interactive experiences. There were hiccups when it opened in Japan, but one of Super Nintendo World's big attractions is their interactivity throughout the park in a way theme park areas haven't done previously. Universal is no stranger to immersive experiences. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter is immersively expansive, and the Jurassic World area next door has grown quite a bit over the last couple of years. The park in Japan features a lot of immersive experiences, as well as rides that drop into much-loved Nintendo games like Mario Kart. The current park lets you dine like an Italian plumber with a super mushroom pizza bowl, a question mark block of tiramisu, and a piranha plant caprese salad, among other dishes. There is also a boatload of merch, some of which will be available at the Universal Studios Hollywood uh, well in advance of the 2023 opening, literally 20 minutes from where I live. Oh, nice. So if we have a shopping list, we can just send it to you and you'll go grab stuff for us. Yes. That's (laughs) the thing is like, I'm definitely interested in that merch. And um, this is really a great thing because like I've seen all the videos of the one in Japan and like I just have this obsession of wanting to go to Japan. And now that it's coming to the U.S. market, uh, that's pretty great. Yeah, I would have died to go to the Japanese one, but uh, Universal Hollywood is so much more accessible, especially, you know, with travel being how it is now. So I don't know that I'll be going anytime soon, but it's nice to know I could. Yeah. So is this, I, I want to know, are we opening at Universal Orlando or are we opening at Universal Studios Hollywood? I think from what I'm seeing, I'm finding another article where it's uh, Hollywood. Okay. And they're saying 2025 for Orlando. Okay, Okay, so it's going to be at both parks. All right. At least that's what the internet tells me. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about how you get to dine like an Italian plumber? They make it sound more romantic than it probably should be. Yeah, exactly. This this is romanticized because, uh, in my opinion, an Italian plumber would probably have his hands covered in you-know-what just munching on a meatball sandwich. Do they really want to give you that kind of experience? I don't think so. Surely Italian plumbers still wash their hands. (laughs) Wait, Mario's always wearing gloves, though. Just slap on a pair of gloves and you're okay. Don't you want a piranha plant caprese? I don't know how. I mean, I I guess the presentation would probably be pretty cool. You know, you'd have a a piranha plant bowl with caprese salad in there. Um, It looks great, but I... I mean, the food from the... Super Nintendo World in Japan looks amazing. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It looks cool. So. And by the way, just to throw this nugget in there, um, they're opening Donkey Kong Country expansion in Japan. Right. In 2024 or 2025, which sounds, just from saying those words, sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we had discussed uh, that topic uh, a couple of episodes ago when we were touching on the fact that they were opening up Super Nintendo World and how it would be great if they had an actual Donkey Kong throwing barrels at kids and knocking them off stool girders. That would be a much loved uh, feature, Mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. I'm sure it will be there. Fingers crossed. All right, next up from PC Gamer, Atari buys video game database Moby Games for $1.5 million. The website Moby Games was launched in 1999, the intention being to create a huge video game database via crowdsourcing. Today, it has certainly achieved that goal. It's one of the most useful repositories there is of things like game credits and box art. In November last year, Atari announced a potential deal to purchase Moby Games for $1.5 million from owner Antstream, and this deal has now been completed. In Atari, Moby Games has found a partner that will provide the investment and support we need to complete long-planned site improvements, said Jeremiah Freyholtz, who's been running Moby Games since 2013. It's easy to be cynical about the modern form of Atari, and it doesn't help that it's into selling NFTs and gets into silly public spats with Soldier Boy. But it's also worth acknowledging that with things like the reborn VCS, while the hardware may well be overpriced and underpowered, it does actually exist. That's shots fired. Wow, that is uh, that is <laughs> a, that is awesome. That they said that the Atari brand has been through so many hands over the years, most of which cared only about wringing it dry, that it can't help but be tainted by that history. Admittedly, the current lot seems to favor hotels that look like a 1980s fever dream. <laughs> I love this article. But this version of Atari <laughs> has also made a decent attempt at bringing back some of the classics, getting its older library playable, and has made itself a hardware manufacturer again. You have to look at Moby Games and be optimistic that this acquisition is happening for the right reasons. A video game database may well tick along making a little bit of profit, but it's nothing like a get-rich-quick scheme. I love it. I mean, I'll tell you why I love it. I love it because the Atari name gets to still live on. Whether Regardless of what's happening here, Atari is still in the picture, no matter what we say. And I love that. Mm-hmm. When other companies are buying companies for billions and billions of dollars, here comes Atari with their purchase. Hey, we're going to buy this for $1.5 million. I love and it. Nowadays, that seems like $1.5 million, the average person could afford that. So somebody like Andy could go out and purchase Moby Games for $1.5 million. Uh, I'm not average. <laughs> I wish it was that 1.5 million. I could buy Atari and and like change Atari forever. Atari hasn't fallen that far. <laughs> oh, okay, they've fallen pretty far, but not that far. Right. But I, I mean, it's a huge success story for Moby Games, a crowdsourced video game database. After 23 years, they're finally getting a payday. That's really cool yep. for them. That is really cool, but. Uh, modern Atari, like the article kind of acknowledges, they don't seem to have any idea what it is that they want to do with the company or do with their properties. They got that freaking VCS, which uh, I do like the shots to the Intellivision Amico because at least the VCS exists, even though it sucks. And then you've got those weird hotels and NFTs. Oh, God, why the NFTs? <laughs> a 1980s fever dream. That's, right. that's pretty awesome. I would love to stay at a hotel like that. Have you seen pictures of the hotel? I have not, but I'm going oh, to look it up. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to find this. 
so there's one fun fact though that people don't realize that Atari is also doing, and it's in LA. And there's a place called Two Bit Circus, and it's called the it's a micro amusement park where it's modern arcades. There's sort of carnival games that are more digitally built. There's a retro arcade, and there's food, and then there's like escape rooms and VR rooms, and it's owned by Brett Bushnell who is the son of Nolan Bushnell. Ah. They both own this place. And I will say this, it's one of those places where you can get beer, you can get drinks, play video games, play VR, and they call it a micro amusement park. They also do events there before COVID, obviously. They were doing a ton of events. Um, so yeah, fun fact, they actually have a really cool barcade, I would say, uh, in LA. So there is that. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm looking at the hotel that's um, being erected Katie, in uh, in Las Vegas. Hell yeah. It looks freaking amazing. Something straight out of 1980s Blade Runner techno noir. It it looks to me like a a combination of Tron and Atari, the essence that is Atari. It's kind of crazy they're doing it. I would love to stay there. (laughs) Donnie has found his people. I I, consider me wanting to have a fever dream. All right. Um, From Business Insider, former Nintendo American president left GameStop's board because leadership refused to explain how they would turn the company around. Former head of Nintendo America Reggie Fizeme stepped down from GameStop's board of directors because company leaders would not share their vision. He said at a South by Southwest event in Austin, Texas on Saturday, uh, leadership says we don't want to articulate our strategy because they don't want it to be stolen. To me, that was not acceptable, Fizeme said. So he stepped down from the company's board in 2021 after serving a period of roughly one year. He also told the conference that GameStop leadership rebuffed his ideas, according to Bloomberg. Uh, GameStop has otherwise laid out broad plans to transform from a brick-and-mortar retailer to an e-commerce-focused company. The so-called Amazon Gaming and announced an NFT marketplace. Its stock price still reflects the Reddit-driven boom that recapitalized the ailing retailer to the tune of $551 million, but has been trailing downward in recent months. Representatives for GameStop did not immediately respond to requests for comment. I'm still holding on to my GameStop stock. <laughs> <laughs> really? That feels like a mistake. <laughs> Personally love Reggie. think he was an amazing leader in the in video games landscape, um, not only for his own company, Nintendo, but for like playing ball with other companies and not stepping on people's toes too much, you know? So he, he retired out of no, like out of the blue. Like I didn't expect him to retire. He is... 60. Young, young guy, but I guess he's also got a lot of money now. Yeah, that's certainly, (laughs) (laughs) that makes a difference. So obviously GameStop has had some missteps along the way, Mm -hmm. but it's so strange to me that you would hire Reggie fils probably the most successful head of Nintendo America that has ever been, widely beloved, hugely successful at the company. You would hire him to come help GameStop, which is struggling, and then he would get there and you would rebuff his ideas and not tell him what's going on? Um, now, hear me out. Is this some th- something where Reggie goes in and says, hey, look at what I've done with Nintendo. I'm going to give you guys some ideas that I think will work. And the board of directors or the senior leadership is like, you know, we, we like that, but we have a different opinion 
we have a different mindset that we're going to at least try. And maybe that rubbed him the wrong way that his plan wasn't chosen because of his status with Nintendo and what he's done. And he just said, you know what? Fine. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. I mean, it could be. But this part where he's saying they they don't want to articulate their strategy because they don't want it to be stolen. So yeah, they're not a, telling him anything. It's basically what he said. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> not is, even sharing the strategy among the board of their own board of directors. So that's weird. It says a lot if he has to step down. Right. I, I mean, Blue's got a point. You're not sharing your your views, your strategy with the board of directors. At the very least, share it with the board of directors. Right. You know, I, I don't know who's going to steal this information and leak it out or, or what have you so that other companies can follow suit. If it's in regards to NFTs, guess what? You're not the first person to to jump on this bandwagon. Yeah, so. and, and almost nobody cares. So, <laughs> right, exactly. I, I think the 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 entire gaming community, if not everybody else, are is basically you know shaking their heads whenever the term NFTs come out in terms of gaming because it just doesn't. To, to, honestly, it doesn't make sense. Right. So yeah, if they are so worried that their strategies are going to leak from their board of directors because their board of directors is not trustworthy. It sounds like they have bigger problems. Right. And maybe Reggie realized that. GameStop, we've been predicting their doom for years and years now, and somehow (laughs) they're still around, but you really can't imagine a way that they could continue to eke out an existence when they almost serve no purpose. I think they made a mistake. I think that they should have gone full digital like five to six years ago. They, they knew it was coming. And I think they had an opportunity to do it really early and have success as being the, um, they said Amazon of gaming. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> although they do serve a physical purpose because people still go into their stores to get things. People still like to like get in their cars and go get something right away, right? But yeah. as delivery windows close, that need for going to brick and mortar is dying even in gaming. So they should have done it years ago. I think they're a little too late, in my opinion. I, I, ser- I can't even remember the last time I went to a GameStop, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say that it's, I think it's, they could have built a culture where, you know, just like people like going to the Gap or, you know. Do people certain- still shop at Gap? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I use that reference either. And I took that personally. Uh, I'm wearing my performance fleece right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so moving on to our top three new releases of the week, we have Dawn of the Monsters for PS5, Xbox Series X and S, PS4, Xbox One, the Switch, Stadia, and PC. The cataclysmic battle between giant monsters has begun in this manga-inspired, side-scrolling kaiju beat-em-up. We have Tunic for Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, and PC. <gasps> what? No PS4 or PS5? Ooh, no Stadia? Exclusive. We don't see that right. often. Explore a land filled with lost legends, ancient powers, and ferocious monsters in Tunic, an isometric action game about a small fox on a big adventure. And last, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. PS5, Xbox Series X and S, PS4, Xbox One, PC. In this hardcore action RPG, Jack must hazard numerous challenges to bring the light of the crystals back to Cornelia, a kingdom conquered by darkness. 
Fight your way through fierce battles with a variety of means to defeat your enemies. With multiple difficulty options and a wide selection of jobs and weapons available to customize your party, you can choose exactly how you want to play. So which one of these three are you guys most excited for? I'm kind of into this tunic game. I love, <laughs> I love the log line too. I've seen it too. Isometric action game about a small fox on a big adventure. What what can you what can you lose? I am definitely interested in Stranger of, of Paradise, but I just wanted to say that that game looks cool. I played the Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin demo that they had in last year sometime. Really didn't care for it at all. So I would probably, of these three, I would probably go for Dawn of the Monsters. I saw a trailer on it, mm-hmm. and it actually looks really amazing. I love the art style. Beat-em-ups are almost always fun. So that is what I would go with. Same here. Um, Stranger of Paradise, looking at it, it looks generic. It doesn't look uh, exciting at all. Uh, Tunic does look very colorful. Kind of reminds me of um, Fez. You guys remember yeah. that game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the color palette alone and the isometric feel or the look, it, it reminds me of that game. I think that might be worth checking out. And since I have an Xbox One, I think I can. Hmm. Hmm. Um, hmm. Godzilla, or I'm sorry, Dawn of the Monsters, not necessarily Godzilla, but Dawn of the Monsters. Again, like Blue said, it's a it's a beat-em-up. It looks beautiful. The artwork is great. Um, I haven't seen video gameplay, but just based on the the side scrolling beat em up that it that it is that I'm seeing I, I I absolutely I think uh that that's that's a game I really want to dig into yeah well it's the game that is on the most platforms so it's going to be good. <laughs> right there you go <laughs> more widely available <laughs> so as we already mentioned last week we had the legendary Howard Scott Warshaw as a guest on the show and last week we also announced a giveaway of an autograph set that includes Howard's book Once Upon a Time in Atari How I Made History by Killing an Industry and a DVD of the documentary Once Upon Atari which is also directed by Howard Scott Warshaw it's a great book and a great documentary so even if you don't win this giveaway we definitely encourage you to check out one or both of them we'll include links on where to find them in the show notes but without further ado it's time to announce our giveaway winner and big congratulations to great say man 81 you'll be receiving a set of howard's book and dvd autographed with your name now we'll be formally announcing the winner on twitter on saturday so if you're listening to this episode on friday do us a favor don't spoil the surprise for great say man wait until he sees it for himself And thank you so much to everyone who listened and entered into the giveaway. We definitely appreciate your support. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm texting Great Summoning right now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) kidding. Congratulations. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Dude, you hear what you won? (laughs) All right, let's move on to our main topic. Um, So from the Straits Times, uh, Facebook gaming is overrun with strange videos and scams. Uh, Facebook gaming was supposed to be the social media giant's answer to Amazon.com's Twitch, a place to watch people play video games. Four years after its promising launch, however, the service has turned into an eerie digital ghost town where some of the most watched accounts are not even gamers. Some of the top live streams are not even live, uh, and a large portion of the real gamers' video views have disappeared. 
The typical fare on a game streaming site involves a player narrating as he plays. But on a recent February morning, the number one spot on Facebook gaming was dominated by a video from the military game Arma 3, billed as footage of Russian's Ukraine invasion. Other top videos included a montage of chiropractic footage and an unmanned digital double-decker airplane floating with no narration. Sometimes the top live videos show women selling foot callus removal kits or diet pills with tags like playing Grand Theft Auto 5 or playing League of Legends. Some videos that purport to be live run for up to 11 hours looping recorded footage. Such content differs starkly from the game live streaming showcased on Twitch and YouTube gaming. The number of Facebook gaming streamers has declined since 2021 with top personalities like Jeremy Disguised Toast Wang and Karina Kopf, each with millions of social media followers defecting to Twitch in the last few months. As the pre-recorded commerce or simply bizarre video activity takes over in the last quarter of 2021, it accounted for 42% of the hours watched on Facebook Gaming's 200 top channels, according to data from StreamHatchet reviewed by a live stream analyst. It becomes difficult for serious game streamers to make a name for themselves or build an enthusiastic audience around their work. The fast fade of Facebook Gaming shows Meta's challenge in driving young people and their vibrant communities to its flagship social network, and the limitations of its strategy to copy competitors' successful products. Facebook overall shrank in daily users for the first time in the fourth quarter, causing the company to lose more than a third of its market value since its earnings report. Meta Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg has rallied his employees around prioritizing video products that can help the company attract the next generation of users. Now another copycat product, Reels, a competitor to TikTok, is Mr. Zuckerberg's main strategic focus. Despite the difficulties, Facebook considers its gaming efforts a success. As we zoom out, we see a long-term upward trend in both the number of creators and viewership on Facebook gaming, the company said in a statement. Meta is focusing on its ability to help creators reach audiences who care deeply about their content and communities and are more likely to return and engage with future streamers. With its 2018 launch, Meta invested heavily in trying to make the gaming platform cool, luring some of Twitch's top game streaming stars, such as Jeremy Wang, with deals reportedly exceeding $1 million US dollars in some cases. One of Facebook Gaming's unique strengths is our foundation as a social media platform, offering creators the ability to reach audiences that may not be connected directly to them by following, for instance, a Facebook Gaming spokesman said in a statement. Additionally, unlike Twitch, Facebook Gaming is much more popular outside of the United States, with many viewers turning in from Vietnam, Indonesia, and South or Central America, according to data from StreamCharts. So if you all remember, Mixer was Xbox's streaming platform and Mixer went under, but Facebook gaming, when the day it closed, they gave contracts to a lot of the biggest Mixer streamers as well. And they gave them some good money. And there was like a lot of like, this is like a few years ago now. And I was like kind of excited for Facebook gaming. I was like, that's a good move, you know, helping Mixer like culture and creators and have them come into Facebook gaming to help. But it's sad to see that it's like in America, at least it's kind of losing the fight against uh, Twitch and YouTube. And Twitch is still, I believe, don't quote me, 70% of the streaming market. It gives you a lot of perspective. Facebook gaming has a very little share of the like live stream gaming market, really. I don't think it's sad at all. I would like to see Facebook burn yep. to the ground. <laughs> yep. but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, 
I only really use Facebook for marketplace. And if I could somehow take that aspect and kind of isolate it and say, all I want to focus on is marketplace, you can delete my other profile. I don't give a crap about how many friends I have or keeping up with people I no longer really care to. Just let me buy my retro games off the marketplace in peace. Which is an awesome little platform within Facebook for retro game hunters. I will say Absolutely. I don't know. Blue, what, what do you think about Facebook gaming? It's almost kind of <laughs> ugly to watch. Like, I'm with you. I, I would like to see Facebook completely disappear. But it's kind of like this slow, very, very slow death where people are just jumping off the platform in kind of this steady stream. It's like a joke, right? You go on Facebook and you, you see all your your old relatives with their not PC views, <laughs> sharing their not PC memes. And, right, and, and right. it's just not a pleasant place to be, I think, for anybody. So the idea, of course, that they're desperate to attract the next generation, that that is obviously true, but that they're trying to do it by throwing money at a Facebook gaming, but then not cultivating it, not curating it. If it's full of people selling callous removal products and diet pills, I mean, right. why on earth would anybody tune into that? I, I don't know, but <laughs> if I, I but if you take like let's just say somebody clicks on that stream, okay, playing Grand Theft Auto Five, I want to watch some Grand Theft Auto Five, and I click on it, and it's some lady rubbing her feet. Now, whether you're into <laughs> that or not, market. I don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. But that person clicked on it. Now you have so many different people probably counting into the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands people clicking on that link and watching it for like at least a minute to see if they're like, oh, wait, wait a minute. They're, they're selling foot callus removals. Okay. This is not Grand Theft Auto 5. I'm going to move on to something else. So they have, I guess, sort of manufactured data that says we have these people clicking on. We've got so many people generating this kind of traffic to this site. Yada, yada, yada. Look, we're successful. And in fact, you're really not. Well, yeah, but that's not a long-term strategy, of course, because how many Grand Theft Auto 5 videos do you click on and have them not be Grand Theft Auto 5 before you quit trying and you <laughs> go to YouTube or something? That's a very good point. I don't know. Some people have some grave determination that they're going to find an actual playthrough of Grand Theft Auto and they will sit there and click through every single stream. I suppose so. But uh, yeah. it's, it's just, it is hilarious to me that of course, we've talked about the metaverse before in the show. None of us were on board with that idea. But mm -hmm. the there was that ad that was on all the time where it's got the four Gen Z kids in the art yep. museum. And then the tiger in the painting starts dancing. And, oh, look at meta. Aren't we cool? Like, no, because you've got diet pill videos in your gaming <laughs> content. And, and then you think you're going to compete with TikTok? I mean, Andy, come on. Do you think they can <laughs> compete with TikTok? Well, I mean, TikTok's doing so well, they're competing with YouTube now, sort of, or they're trying to. So, um, no, TikTok is beyond right now. They're very successful in America now. Um, right. Facebook. What's interesting is like, because Reels is basically TikTok, what TikTokers are doing, and I'm guilty of this, is they remove the watermark with an app from TikTok and they'll repost it on Reels as simply as a, just another place to throw your content without the like TikTok watermark. So it's like a tactic for growth. So if you have an Instagram, which a lot of us do, unfortunately, it's like the only like Facebook thing I use the most. Hmm. So you guys are both streamers, of course. Yes. Why do you think Twitch is so successful when Facebook gaming has not been? It's seated in community for me. I think Twitch 
and and when Twitch cons were happening, and it's coming back this year, they really knew about community. I know they've messed up a lot. Definitely have had mm-hmm. the ups and downs. No, no doubt about it. Right? There's definitely some some questionable moments with Twitch, but they've done a hell of a job with community and giving people that power in a very fun way. Nowhere else, I think Twitch has the chat down perfectly. For some reason, they got it down. YouTube chat is still not great. I think it's all about the engagement that Twitch allows the viewer to have with the streamer. It's really amazing now. I would have to agree with Andy. Um, it seemed like when Mixer came out, it's they tried. Like, they, oh, tried. they tried. Yeah, absolutely. They're just like, oh, let's uh, let's let's make a rival to to Twitch and let's just have a, a a platform where we can pay all these different streamers so much money to come over and yada yada yada. Uh, we don't, we don't care about new people. Let's just get the, let's get the existing content creators and give them fat contracts. And, and yeah, people will flock over here because it's some of their favorite uh, personalities. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. And, um, when you don't have the, the, the stuff like Twitch did with, with their user base and Twitch cons and stuff like that, you don't, you're not cultivating it. You're not cultivating. You don't want to see it grow. And it didn't. Yeah. And TwitchCon, real, like just to mention, is really special for streamers because it gives the viewers a chance to meet their favorite streamers in public. Um, so that was the whole idea. And also meet moderators. And it's very community driven. It's really cool. I wonder what the normal Twitch streamer or what the popular Twitch streamer, does he think, he or she think that they're like a, a super elite celebrity? And like, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Don't touch me. You can't. Yeah, whatever. No, there's signings and stuff. Yeah, just like any con, but it's different. They walk around, they say hi to all their fans, you know. And but yeah, I mean, obviously you have the big streamers now. I mean, they're that was 2019 Twitch con. It's 2022, and these streamers are making well beyond what they made in 2019. Like so, put in perspective, you might be right. I don't know. (laughs) So well, and you also take into account because of the pandemic, people were doing uh, more video watching because they were at home. Yeah, absolutely. I had a chance to, uh, I was going to go to TwitchCon in 2019, but I chose PRGE instead. And I think I made the right choice. Yeah. I would recommend it. I would go to one TwitchCon. Once we get back to it, you know, maybe go to one at least sometime. It's fun and I'll be there. I'm always at it. So sweet. Great place to meet. So let's say you guys were going to, you were going to pull a Reggie fils Like he went to GameStop board and was supposedly going to fix it. And of course, as we discussed earlier, it didn't work out. But let's say you got hired onto Facebook gaming and you were going to fix it. What would you do? Uh, <laughs> I would get hired onto Facebook gaming just to sabotage it. Cause like I said, <laughs> I'm a Facebook anarchist. I want to see it burned to the ground. I think you separate it and you make it its own app. You make it its own website and you really focus on that. You disconnect it from the endless pit that Facebook has turned into when it comes to just information and things make it a unique platform just like mixer did you know mixer failed but at least they were making their own platform with their own culture and it was completely made from obviously in the competitive nature of trying to take down twitch but there was more culture there i say they have to separate it and create its own give it its own life you know really give it its own Mm -hmm. life so that that's my opinion that's an interesting thought because a lot of the strategy of facebook gaming was to integrate the streams into people's Facebook feeds so that totally there would be more interaction, there would be more viewership. And of course, it hasn't worked out as as they promised. But if you make it its own app, it kind of takes away that whole strategy. Well, if they're listening, 
Let's talk. <laughs> Call up Andy. Because we've got tons of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I think it would be, if they really want to take it seriously, I think they have to think about doing it that way and get out of the ecosystem of what that is. You know, like Instagram is successful because it's not like, yeah, it inter grinds with like sharing and notifications with Facebook, but you're really on a separate app when you're using Instagram, right? Well, now Instagram is trying to, don't they have videos as well? Like people doing stuff like TikTok? Oh yeah. But it's still not stuck in the Facebook ecosystem in a lot of ways. Like the Twitch streamers have to stream through the Facebook ecosystem yeah. where Instagram's like outside of it. If you didn't okay. know that Instagram was owned by Facebook, I mean, there's not a lot of clues. They kind of seem right. like they have just done their complete own branding with it. Yeah. And WhatsApp is also owned by uh, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So their most successful stuff is the least Facebooky. <laughs> uh, it's Facebook. It's Facebook. It's a good topic. The streaming topic is great. I love it. So what could a company do? Like, let's just say a company wanted to come in and challenge Twitch, because I'm not even going to talk about challenging Facebook gaming, because really you'd have to challenge YouTube and Twitch. There are no YouTube cons. Okay. So we know what Twitch is doing. We know what they're doing successfully. What would a company have to come in and do to supersede or take over the throne from Twitch? Oh man. I know it's a loaded question. It's kind of like, I'm going back to Mixer because it was unprecedented when it happened. When Ninja announced Ninja Shroud and a bunch of other famous mm-hmm. streamers from Twitch, it wasn't announced how much money they had back then, but I think I think it was like Ninja got 30 million or something That crazy. was the number that was being thrown around. Yeah. Right. And then Shroud got maybe 15 million. I'm throwing numbers out, but they tried to do that by getting these creators. But I think TikTok is interesting because TikTok kind of came out of its own and was successful. It's really hard to do that, you know? So we've already learned that paying for big names on a new platform doesn't necessarily work. No, right? doesn't mean success. So Mixer's proven that already. And Facebook's proven it too, because they also paid a lot of people. And Twitch has still got that culture. I don't know what it is. They were the first. It's one of those examples of they were the first and might always be the best for a long time. Taking their throne down, it's going to be years before that's possible, I think. From a live perspective, right? Not VOD. No one goes to Twitch to watch like pre-recorded stuff, right? Yeah, I'll go to YouTube for that. YouTube owns the VOD market. But man, Twitch owns the live market and it's going to be hard to dethrone them. But something could just come tomorrow and change everything. That's what's really crazy about the world we live in. Right. (laughs) I think it's bringing someone new, like finding the next great person that no one knows about that they're going to want to know and have them launch a new platform. That's the only thing I could think of. Right. So the only thing that will ever eventually dethrone Twitch is whatever the next big thing is going to be. All right, we better get started. <laughs> We're too bad Ryan misses episode. We're going to be making a new uh, streaming platform and dropping huge contracts, right, guys and gals? Like, we're going we're gonna to take it down. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our Gaming History 101 segment. Of course, Professor Rybread is out this evening, but we are going to have a substitute teacher, aren't we, Donnie? And I swear to God, I'm not drunk. Kids, sit down. <laughs> I got some learning to give you. <laughs> we have a new sponsor to announce. Please join us in giving a huge thank you and welcome to the Leadist Podcast, who will be sponsoring our Gaming History 101 segment. Here's a quick hello from the guys. 
Hey everybody, we're the Leadist Podcast, a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about games. Video games. Games of the video sort. We do trivia, our own takes on classic game shows, board games, audio trivia. We make them all about video games. As Leadist, Leet I-S-T. Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a follow at The Leadist on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where we post daily trivia. The Leadist Podcast. So everyone... Fire up the flux capacitor, put some trash into Mr. Fusion, and get ready to travel back in time. Welcome to 1992, a year that pleasured our eyeballs with movies such as Batman Returns, Encino Man, Cool World, and Army of Darkness, along with music that did equally as good with Baby Got Back, Jump by Criss Cross, Rump Shaker, and how do you talk to an angel? But we're not here to talk about that. We're a show about video games, and what better topic to discuss than what was going on in the world of video games back then? Back when there were two major game companies fighting it out head-to-head over who was the dominant one in the marketplace, who did what the other didn't, and so on and so forth, we also had two gaming magazine companies battling it out to offer you cutting-edge reviews and gaming industry insights. Let's take a look back at the March 1992 issue of GamePro. So some of the articles touched on how Genesis scores a big Christmas. Sega of America is claiming victory in the holiday race for 16-bit dollars. Most retailers confirmed that the Genesis outsold the Super NES, often 2-to-1, over the Christmas season. Projecting that more than 350 titles will be available for the Genesis system by the end of 1992, Sega is confident that they'll continue to hold more than 55% of the 16-bit market. Did you know that the Mega CD was not compatible with the Genesis? What is not good news for those of you who like to get your games before they come to the States, Sega of America confirmed that rumors that the Mega CD is not compatible with the Genesis system. Sega Enterprises Limited of Japan explains that the Mega CD hardware will be divided into Japanese, Southeast Asian, North American, and European versions, none of which will be compatible with hardware from the other areas. Sega is, of course, hoping this will encourage gamers to wait and purchase the Mega CD when it debuts in the U.S. later this year. Now, I don't know about you guys, but did you were you able to get your games before they released in the uh, States? No, that was that's uh, crazy talk. I don't think so. That sounds like something Ryan was able to do oh, as a yes. kid. Oh, yes. That, that sounds like a rich kid thing. <laughs> <laughs> Send the butler off on the private jet off to Japan to get something on release day and then bring it back. <laughs> He's going to hate us. He already does. It's fine. <laughs> In 1992, the Reader's Choice Awards for the 1991 games were as follow. The 8-bit game of the year. Can you guys tell me what you think might have been the choice? 91, 91, 91. In 91? Yeah, 8-bit. So NES games were still being made back then. Oh, man, that's tough. Was Super Mario 3 released in 91? Uh, No. I'm not going to know this one. You're hesitating, so it must not be the the game of the year. So That late 80s is very cloudy, by the way. So So it was actually Battletoads. I was going to say Battletoads, but I was like, oh, that's the obvious answer, though. But I should have went with it. Sometimes the obvious is the best answer. Wow. The 16-bit game of the year. Think 16-bit. Who do you think rocked the I'm going to say Aladdin 
Aladdin's got to be later than 91. I think you're right. It might be 93 or 4. Blue, what's your pick? Oh, I don't even know. 91 <laughs> Super Mario World. That's a good guess. It was a little blue hedgehog. Oh, of known course. Known as Sonic. Oh, of course. <laughs> and still to this day, Sonic's bigger than ever. I mean, Sonic 2 got announced and they showed the poster and it looks like the cover of Sonic 2, which is amazing, by the way, if you both saw that. I mm-hmm. have seen it. I'm very impressed that they did that because movie posters today are terrible. And that was good. <laughs> I was like, finally, someone gets it, you know. So we have other games like the best graphics achievement, which was Sherlock Holmes consulting detective on the TurboGrafx-16 CD. Weird. Sound achievement was Castlevania 4 for the Super Nintendo. Mm. Sports game of the year, NHL. Hockey for the Genesis. Best puzzle strategy was called Faceball 2000 for the Game Boy. Oh, wow. um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it looks like Doom, but with smiley faces. Doom with smiley faces. You had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Best action adventure, and who could blame them? Castlevania 4 for the Super Ooh. Nintendo. The best shoot 'em up, which we actually talked about shmups earlier this uh, this episode. I, I know I'm going to butcher this. It's called Gaieres um, for the Sega Genesis. I've never played it. Now that I know about it, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, what the shmup, huh? <laughs> what the shmup? <laughs> what the shmup? I'm going to start using that. <laughs> yeah, now we need that on a shirt. <laughs> That's a good what shirt. What the shmup? The best RPG, Final Fantasy II for the Super Nintendo. Mm. Final Fantasy II is one that I, I really, I played a long time ago. I beat. I would love to revisit it again because I don't remember a single thing about it. Mm. <laughs> it's like playing it over new. Exactly. And that's, that's some of the great things about retro games is like you could not touch a game for, in this case, what, 30 years? Mm-hmm. And it's like you're playing it for the first time all over again. That's just getting old, I think. <laughs> well, I've been replaying Star Tropics, and it's been fantastic playing it. Oh, again. there you go. Mm-hmm. There were two of them, too. But Star Tropics, where there's a code you had to get in the game, and you'd have to dip the manual in water to get the code. Now that... Oh, I'm not doing that. Nope. No, no. You wouldn't do it today, but it's still a really cool feature if you think about it back then, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And the last topic of discussion from GamePro is that there was... A contest, okay? $250,000 in fantasy prizes. Two grand prize winners will be able to choose one of the following. A fantasy concert, or anywhere in the U.S. for you and three friends. The best available seats. All air and hotel for three days and two nights, plus $5,000 spending cash. A fantasy game room with a 50-inch big screen projecting TV. Awesome component sound system. Super NES with 12 Super NES game packs installed wherever you want in the U.S., a fantasy sports spectacular with the best available seats, all air and hotel for three days and two nights, plus $5,000 spending cash, or $10,000 cash equivalent. Create your own personal fantasy. Have you ever entered, (laughs) giggity, have you ever entered a video game magazine contest and or won? No, definitely not. I've bought things through a magazine, but not not, (laughs) not like a contest or anything. (laughs) Now, let's just say from these four choices, Blue, which one would you pick? A fantasy concert, a fantasy game room, a fantasy sports ball spectacular, or $10,000 cash? Hmm, I'm probably taking the money. 
Don't forget that the concert and the sports spectacular gets you $5,000 spending cash. I think I'm still taking the money. <laughs> Andy, which one are you taking? Um, I would do the fantasy game room. Give me that awesome component sound system with the Super NES and the 12 game packs. And- <laughs> component sound. Yeah, let's go. I mean, except it doesn't say what are the 12 Super NES games. So it could be, you know, Madden and... Would they do me like that, though? They 12 might. copies of Madden? I think they would. <laughs> oh, yeah. They Maybe might. They what would you pick, Johnny? At the time... I probably would go with $10,000 cash. Um, You're talking about $10,000 to a 14-year-old. Imagine what you could do with that. I wouldn't have any place to put a 50-inch big screen in my parents' uh, in my bedroom <laughs> at my parents' house. Right? It would take up the entire damn wall. And besides that, they would say, "No, you have to share it with your siblings." It's like, "I don't want to. It's mine. I want yeah, it." No thanks. So that's all for this week's um, travel back in time. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Did I say enjoyed it? Uh, like it's like a <laughs> pair of jorts, like stone stonewashed jorts. We know you have jorts. <laughs> yes, I do. And I'm wearing them right now. Anyway, thank you very much for attending um, this time travel episode. Not like we're in a class or anything. You'll get to do that next week when Ryan comes back. All right. Well, thank you, time traveler, Professor Donnie. <laughs> for that trip You're welcome. Uh, 30 years in the past exactly 30 years in the past actually because you said March exactly. 1992 so yeah mm-hmm. 30 years in the past alright let's go ahead and wrap up this episode and thank you everyone for listening to episode 13 of Gamers Week podcast and an extra big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast and the Leadist podcast for sponsoring this episode don't forget to check out their links in the show notes also Andy thank you so much for being here again we really appreciate it Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Hope I didn't talk too much. That's what we're here for. It's a podcast. I love it. Right. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Don't forget, we'll also have Andy's links in the show notes. You can check out his podcast. You can get involved in Stand Up to Cancer and put your stream towards a good cause. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, you can follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. You can email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash gamersweekpodcast. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. And finally, since you've made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hope you find your dad. <laughs> what? Hope you find your dad. From Elf. Yeah. Oh. It's out of left field. <laughs> but I'll take it. Is this the end credits scene? Probably. This is yeah. the end credits. <laughs>